A tough quarter for Netflix has forced it to take even tougher decisions on the service's direction. We discuss what impact ads, charging for password sharing and content spending discipline will have. Listen on to find out more. Welcome to this week's edition of Inside the Stream. This is Will Richmond from Video News, and that was Colin Dixon from Industry Media there at the beginning. Hi, Colin. How's everything going? It's going good, Will. I am getting ready for my first NAB in person in two years. It's not my first conference in two years, but it's the first big conference in two years, and Boy, it's going to be a strange wandering the halls of a slightly reduced size NAB, but I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to doing it. It'll be good to be there. So hopefully some of our listeners will be around and they'll stop by and say hi when I'm wandering the halls. Yeah. What are they estimating attendance to be at this year? I have no idea, Will. I, yeah, I have no idea. Yeah, but smaller. Smaller but, than but, the past. Yeah, I think it's going to be quite a bit smaller. I noticed there's quite a lot going over going on over in the wind as well, and the West Hall looks to be pretty busy. But um, yeah, it's it's going to be a bit smaller, I think. Okay, well, hopefully next week on next week's podcast, you'll be able to share some of your observations. And as you said at the top, Netflix is our main story this week. It was hard to not follow. <laughs> excuse me, what was happening with uh, Netflix's first subscriber loss in years. Um, but we're going to get started with, and so we'll get to that in a moment, but we're going to get started with a couple of news items first. We are, and I think you're going to go first, right? Uh, the first casualty of the Warner Brothers Discovery merger, right? Yeah, CNN Plus. Um, I think its lifespan was about equal to Quibi's, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> Actually, um, I think it was shorter. <laughs> even shorter than Quibi's. Well, what, what was Quibi? How long did it last? I'm trying to remember now. Uh, I think it was about six ago. months. Six months. Okay, yeah. yeah. So CNN Plus lasted a month. Um, but of course, CNN Plus was victim to a larger corporate merger activity, activity that's going on. So, um, But yeah, the, um, the, the wind down of CNN Plus is certainly a news item that caught both of our attention this week. And lots of uncertainty now about what CNN's uh, streaming strategy is really going to be um, to be more aggressive. The CNN Plus was really meant to be the, the flagship brand, the flagship service. And now I guess there's a question about how CNN content may get folded into HBO Max or an even larger service that combines with Discovery Plus. And I don't think you're a fan of that approach, are you? I'm not. I think it's not a good idea, and we'll get to one of the reasons why in a second. But I think the scuttlebutt that I've been reading, Will, is that David Zaslav was just really uh, anti the the whole idea of CNN+. Plus. I remember he was talking about including hard news and including um, unbiased news in this new great big bundle product that he's he's putting together his planning and he wanted CNN to be that he wanted CNN plus to be that and that was never the intention with CNN plus and I think uh, I think when he sat down with the managers for that product and realized that they were seriously out of step with what he wanted uh, he just decided to shut the thing down and 
I guess, point point that uh, group in a different direction. So uh, anyway, well, I don't know about the uh, the big bundle product, though. Yeah, and the other thing, of course, also is that CNN Plus was a really expensive service first to build and then to maintain. And uh, Warner Brothers, Warner Media Discovery is looking for every dollar of potential cost savings that it can find as part of the uh, the post-merger activity. And CNN Plus was obviously a pretty big target for cost savings. So um, I don't know, it'd be interesting to see what the plan is that comes out of this um, without CNN Plus now in the picture. It, it will be very interesting. And um, I, I'm betting that they're going to start up some sort of news organization on the backs of CNN to, to do that. But I think we should probably get to the second part. Because yeah, go it, ahead. The HBO. second news item, because it is related to the first, and that is in AT&T's swan song as a media provider, it gave its Q1 results. And the news results were pretty good for HBO and HBO Max. It said that it added 3 million subscri- subscribers to HBO Max and HBO. Uh, to end Q1 with 76.8 million total. That includes 48.6 million US subscribers to HBO Max and HBO, uh, up 1.8 million from the prior quarter. Uh, The 3 million quarterly net gain for HBO Max, HBO, matched that in the year earlier period. So, this is a this is a an, an app HBO Max that I think is firing on on all cylinders. Will it's doing great? It's continuing to grow strongly. In a quarter where Netflix did very badly, HBO Max has continued to do very well. And you know when we're talking about this big bundle product that uh, Zaslav and his team are talking about, slamming Discovery and HBO Max together. I just don't get it. Why would you mess with something that is clearly working very, very well? I mean, Disney didn't slam Disney Plus and Hulu together or ESPN Plus uh, didn't slam those all together. So I I just don't get what's going on here. Um, HBO is doing very, very well on its own. The content that Warner Brothers, that, that Warner Media contributed to it is obviously helping with subscriber acquisition and keeping people engaged and enjoying the application. So why mess with it? Why mess with success? That's a good question. Um, Well, and there again, I think we've talked about this before, but I have to believe that there's research behind the idea of creating some kind of a larger service that um, supports the notion that... um, that it all go together. But I mean, your point about what Disney has done is I think very well taken. Uh, And it's not obvious to me that HBO Max, HBO, CNN, and Discovery Plus uh, viewers have a whole lot in common with each other that they all want that in one service. Um, But there must be some, I, 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 I just, I have to believe that there's some research that supports it. Well, I think I know that Zaslav and his team have commented the Discovery strategy before Discovery Plus was to have a bunch of brands, to have basically, you know, a brand, a streaming brand in market that matched uh, the broadcast brand and the, or the cable brand. And that they did benefit from drawing those all together into a single product 
that they say is doing pretty well and it does seem to be doing pretty well by all accounts but this is very different there is a lot of alignment between a lot of the a lot of the brands inside of discovery and pulling them together into a single app there's still a lot of alignment and i think people felt like when they subscribed to discovery plus they were getting a good deal i don't see a pricing policy that's that's either good for discovery or good for consumers for a grand product that brings these all together i just don't see it and you're going to end up either losing losing out on revenue or angering consumers and losing out on subscribers so i, I don't know i just don't see an, an upside for them jamming this all in one product well we'll find out soon enough because uh, again consistent with the cost reduction and um, needing to grow the top line i'm, I'm guessing that that service will come sooner rather than later. I'm guessing so too. So anyway, uh, let's jump in and let's talk about Netflix. Yeah, let's talk about Netflix. So, um, you know, certainly the headline was losing subscribers on a company-wide basis, losing a couple hundred thousand subscribers in the Q1-22 period. That was um, as compared with gaining nearly 4 million subscribers a year ago. And, uh, you know, that's a little bit unfair to Netflix. Um, they actually would have still would have gained about a half a million subscribers, but for losing 700,000 in the Russia market where they turned off the service due to the war in Ukraine. So they highlighted that 700,000 loss. It, it still would have been way below their Q1 forecast of adding two and a half million subscribers. Um, so they still would have been a full two million below. But, you know, clearly it's the loss, overall loss that got everybody's attention and that cratered the Netflix, Netflix's stock uh, and has created all these questions about what Netflix's future is. So, um, you know, they uh, pointed out these sort of four, they call four main interrelated factors the addressable market, the the password sharing and account saturation, the competition from other streaming services and from linear, and again, this sort of uh, sluggish, the economic growth and the geopolitical events like Russia and Ukraine. So they, they highlighted those four, and it doesn't sound like things are going to be improving anytime soon because they forecasted a loss of couple million subscribers in uh, Q2, and that is compared to a gain of almost 3 million subscribers uh, a year ago in Q2 of 21. So um, so Netflix, you know, the business is clearly slowing. I, I think, you know, we'll get into this a little bit. I don't think either one of us was hugely, hugely surprised by this. Um, you know, we've been talking on the podcast for a while that Netflix penetration, especially in the U.S. and Canada market, you can, uh, was getting pretty high. And, you know, it gets incrementally harder, harder to grow incrementally, the greater the penetration rate is. And then you throw in all the new competition and all the free services as well. And it, it's a it's a much more competitive picture for Netflix. So, you know, 220 million subscribers still, it's still the juggernaut of, of the market, but it's going to be, it's going to be tougher going forward for sure. Yeah, I think so. And one of the things that they suggested was, this, this was like a huge 
backtrack for for Netflix. They've consistently said that they wouldn't do ads, and yeah. uh, now they finally said that they were quote considering the ads. Um, and even Netflix's Reed Hastings co-CEO Reed Hastings admitted that he was um, well actually I'll say, what he actually said was and those that follow Netflix know that I've been against the complexity of advertising and, and, and am a big fan of the simplicity of subscriptions but as much as I'm a fan of that I'm a bigger fan of consumer choice uh, this was a huge climb down I texted you as soon as I heard that when I was listening to it yeah so yeah. let's talk about the ads for a little bit I mean this is obviously something that you've advocated for and I thought made a lot of sense yeah yeah I mean I I've, I've been an advocate excuse me of Netflix launching an ad supported lower price ad supported tier for at least I think three years, maybe longer, and um, you know, advocated it for the reasons that Reed Hastings now said. It's it's basic consumer choice, and uh, you know, consumers are not monolithic. S- subscription ad free is great, but um, there's price sensitivity out there, and we've also seen from other services that do offer a hybrid, whether it's Hulu or you know, Paramount Plus, uh, you know, CBS uh, interactive service that the majority, when it's available, the majority of subscribers will choose the lower priced ad supported uh, offering. And that's really what consumer choice is all about. And, you know, Netflix obviously was growing very fast for many years. And we'll talk about that in a moment with password sharing. But um, didn't need to be as sensitive to the idea of consumer choice because people were accepting the subscription model and accepting increases in uh, the monthly price and all was fine. Um, but now with subscribers you know, contracting a bit and Wall Street uh, obviously in revolt about that, um, it you know, it seems like the timing is finally right for Netflix to embrace the idea of consumer choice. And, um, and I think that's smart. And, and I think it's going to go over really well. Uh, hopefully it'll happen sooner rather than later. Because um, I think advertisers would love the opportunity to run ads in Netflix. It's all premium content. It's a desirable audience. Um, it'll be, you know, it can be fully controlled by Netflix. All the inventory can be fully controlled by Netflix. So, um, so I, I think it's going to be, and the data, you know, that Netflix has also obviously is going to be great. So, uh, so I think it makes a lot of sense for Netflix to do it. And, you know, if anything, I think it's just overdue. They should have been looking at doing this and getting a plan together a couple of years ago in anticipation of the slowdown. Yeah, I do too. Well, one of the things that that is very clear, Netflix has gotten to the stage, uh, particularly in the US market, but in other markets too, like in in the Nordics and in the UK, where everybody that wants Netflix has heard about it. And if they really wanted it, has subscribed to it under the current business rules. And when you get to that point, you either have to sit pat and hang on to as many as you can. Or if you want to keep growing, you have to change the rules. And really, Netflix has very little option but to add an advertising, a cheaper advertising tier 
they see that it works. It has worked fantastically for Hulu, for example. Hulu's operated with that model from the get-go. And and what's more, Will, the lesson from Hulu, I was looking at Hulu's average revenue per unit. And uh, the, the remarkable thing is when they reduced the price about three years ago, two years ago, I think it was, they reduced the price of the low tier and they left the price of the ad-free tier the same. I was looking at the ARPU and it stayed the same. So in other words, they made as much money from each individual subscriber as they did before when they were paying more. So the advertising made up for the difference. But the great thing about having a lower price tier is you welcome more people in. So the net net for Hulu was that they made more money by introducing that lower price tier. And uh, Netflix can do the same. As you say, there's a queue of advertisers that would just love to get at the Netflix audience uh, and, and they may even get a premium for it. So I think it makes a lot of sense for them to do it. Uh, and as I say, once you, you once you reach that, that saturation point in a market, you've got to change the rules and this does it. Yeah, and I agree with you about um, your comments there on Hulu. Hulu has been incredibly successful at balancing the two business models. Um, they were successful before Disney took full control of Hulu, and they've been even more successful, arguably, since. So Hulu's, I think, a real model for Netflix to follow. And, you know, hopefully they will again sooner than later, because the market is certainly there. You know, the ad market is there for them, <clears throat> excuse me. And, you know, I think Wall Street is going to be looking for them to demonstrate that they can get subscriber growth back on some kind of track, especially as we go into the second half of the year, which is seasonally their strongest um, part of the year. So so we'll see. But yeah, I, I think advertising is a golden opportunity for them. And, and I think it's going to work really well. Yeah, yeah, I do too. At the second part of their plan, um, well, I suppose one overarching theme here, Will, is t to me, the approaches that Netflix are now talking about make perfect sense for the stage that Netflix is in. They were the first into the streaming market. They have reached maturity first. And when you reach maturity, as, as Reed Hastings, I think, said in the Q1 call, things that bothered, that didn't bother you before when you were growing, now you have to address. And one of those things that didn't bother them, in fact, they welcomed it, was password sharing. And, um, and in fact, uh, in the past, I remember Richard Plepler at HBO famously said that he uh, liked password sharing because it was a great way of advertising the service, getting people to try the service. And ultimately, he, he was confident that he could turn them into paying customers. And I think a lot of that was going on with Netflix. But that uh, when you hit that mature level, when you're not growing anymore, suddenly the number of people that aren't paying you because they're sharing passwords begins to really bother you. And they seem to think it's a lot. Reed Hastings said, um, he said, remember, these are over 100 million households that are already, uh, already choosing to view Netflix and they love the service. We've just got to get paid in some degree for them. And if, if that 100 million is right, Will, that's an enormous number, basically, bearing in mind that there's 221 paying, paying customers yeah. for the service. That's an absolutely enormous uh, number. 
And um, Greg Peters, who's Netflix's chief product officer, um, he he sort of refined what the ask was. He says the principal way we've got of going after that, which is the password sharing, is asking our members to pay a bit more to share the service with folks outside the home. So I think what we should expect here is that they will, when they identify that the sharing is going on, rather than asking the person sharing, they're going to ask the person that's paying, hey, you're sharing, this is a consistent access outside the household, you know, give us, I don't know, two to four dollars more a month for that share, or, you know, you, you really have to stop it. Now, I don't know if I remember, we talked about on the podcast this time last year, Will, we talked about on the podcast how Netflix was running a trial in, I forget which market it was, but they were basically, uh, they were they were sitting there and looking and seeing if somebody was accessing an account from outside the home. And if they were, they would pop up a message and it said, if you don't live with the owner of this account, you need your own account to keep watching. And then the user would then have to verify the account via a registered email or mobile phone. I was kind of surprised that they left that in trial and they never rolled that out. That would, I think, solve a, not all of that 100 million, but I bet there's 10 or 15% of people that are using a, a pass, password of somebody and the other person is just not aware of it. So that would actually stop that. I don't think that that would result in many people subscribing. Who, who when you say not down. aware, when you say not aware of it, Colin, how did they get the password in the first place? What do you do you think it was like done a long time ago and just sort of forgot? Or a friend of a friend of a friend, or you know okay. they got they got divorced or separated or something like that, and you know they just ended up continuing to use the same password combination um, id and password combination right so i bet there's i bet there's quite a few of those folks out there but that was really asking the person that was using the borrowed account to do something this is a bit of a different approach so maybe what this taught them was that this didn't work this didn't get people paying they just stopped using maybe what they maybe going after the person that's paying well, I guess that makes a lot of sense, right? They're, they're the ones that have got the money. They're the paying. They're the ones that are paying. So maybe getting them to pay a bit more to share with their son or daughter or mother-in-law is the way to go. And that's perhaps what they're, what they're doing here. Yeah, and it seems like it would be with, well within their control to execute what you just described. Um, so, you know, either they pay the extra to allow the out-of-home access on some kind of a consistent basis or, you know, that person gets cut off and, and they just, they, they're not able to watch any longer. So it does seem like Netflix can control it. I guess the question I is on my mind is, can they put this genie back in the bottle? I mean, password sharing has been so prevalent and so accepted, you know, including by Netflix itself. They have blessed this approach, as you said at the very beginning. Can they now reverse themselves and try to rein in some of the sharing that they've, you know, that they have blessed over the years without really, you know, causing a lot of ruffled feathers by subscribers. Are, are subscribers going to accept this? Are they going to 
you know, kind of being a twist about, hey, this is something we were always allowed to do. Now it's been taken away from us and people never like to have things taken away from them. So I, I think it's going to take a lot of finesse for Netflix to, to execute this. I agree. I agree. And yeah, putting that genie back in the bottle will be tough. It's also well worth remembering that just because 100 million households are using a borrowed password, if you come to them and ask them to pay, a lot of them are still not going to pay you. Yeah. They'll just they'll just stop using the service. Um, I just gave a great illustration where somebody is using a borrowed password without the knowledge, uh, the conscious knowledge at least, of of the paying subscriber. So we, as I like to say, a password shared is not a sale lost. Uh, that is by no means the case. Um, yeah. but, you know, maybe maybe this approach of a small incre- a smaller increment to allow the sharing to go on. I'm, I certainly share with my kids and I'm probably, you know, if I'd ask them if they want the service and if they do, I'd be willing to continue to pay a little bit more for that. But I tell you what, though, I, I don't know if you remember, our readers, our listeners might remember that a few years ago, I called Netflix to ask them what to do about my mother-in-law. And they told me to share my password. Right. Now, I felt guilty about that. And I actually went up to the higher, the highest level. And I'm now on the Ultra HD with four simultaneous streams level. If they do this, I may well drop a level. I may well go back to the HD plan with two streams um, and pay the extra for the out-of-home access. Yeah, well, you have so to see how the pricing. You have to see how the pricing works out. It may be we will definitely more we definitely to hold on to what you have. I don't know. Yeah. Yep, We're just yep, about out of time, Colin, but you wanted to also, I know, wanted to mention one thing about their content spend and yeah. um, the con- uh, the comment that they made um, about being a, maybe more rational with their content spending and, and, and measuring what really has a return for them. Right. And the first thing is to, to remember here is that they they continue to spend a lot of money there. They're slated, I think, to spend $18 billion on content in 2022, and that will continue. What they will do, according to co-CEO Ted Sarandos, he, he said, we will continue to grow the content, content growth relative to previous years. But Spence Newman, who's the CFO, was quick to point out that they are going to slow that growth. So they're going to t- continue to spend a lot but they're just not going to grow the spending as they have in past years. And uh, there was a very interesting article in the Wall Street Journal about an internal meeting inside of Netflix where they were talking about this. And basically what they said was they are going to spend their money a little bit more wisely. They are going to invest in those those shows that provide the biggest return on the investment. And this I was really surprised about. Apparently, Netflix has not been watching an indicator that I thought they would be. And basically looking at the viewership as a ratio with the amount spent. So if you spend a lot on a show and the viewership is okay, and you spend a little bit on a show and the viewership is okay, the the show that you spent less money on is more valuable to you because it delivered it, it performed very well versus the amount of spend and the more expensive one is not so valuable. You could have probably redeployed that that uh, revenue on other shows and gotten a better return on your investment. And that's what they said they're going to be doing. So I think that's probably a good thing. 
And, you know, all of these things will, they, they just, it makes sense for a company that has now moved into this mature phase in some markets, in, in, in several markets, for them to start looking at being better, uh, spending their money more wisely, looking at who's using and optimizing uh, revenue from their customer base, and looking at continuing to drive growth with a different approach. This, this, this all makes sense for a company in a mature phase of development like Netflix, I think. Yeah, totally agree, Colin. I mean, it's been it's been a great run by Netflix, and uh, they've been able to do some things that uh, you know a more disciplined, let's say, mature business would need to do. And now they're going to be called upon to do that. Um, they've been a great executor to date. So uh, I, you know, I feel like they can, you know, all these things are within their control one way or the other. Um, but it'll be, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I got one thing to say, if you at Netflix are listening, bring back Cowboy Bebop. I loved it. I know you canceled it. You canceled it way too quick. Bring it back. <laughs> well, a voice of one out of 220 million subscribers, Colin. I'm not sure how much weight that has, but if there are many other fans of that show, then hopefully it'll come back for you. Yeah, I hope so. But anyway, I think we're just about done today. I think we are out of time, Colin. So good chatting about Netflix and uh, CNN Plus and HBO Max. A lot happening this week. And uh, we'll see everybody again next week on Inside the Street. Inside the Stream is a production of in-screen media and video news, all rights reserved.